and welcome back to the Angel Investors Access Show. On this series, we talk to startups, angel investors, VC firms, mentors, coaches, and stakeholders that play a part in the Australian entrepreneurial ecosystem. Proudly brought to you by C2 Angels, helping build a community of like-minded, aspiring angel investors right across Australia and beyond. Have you booked your angel opportunity investment discovery session yet? If not, what are you waiting for? Become an angel investor today and visit c2angels.com. And now let's head to the next episode and join me with our special guest. Well, welcome back everyone to another episode of Angel Investors Access with your host, Brandon Burns from c2angels.com. Now I'm excited for today's guest because he's a venture builder entrepreneur investor and currently an impact entrepreneur fellow at the Edmund Hillary Fellowship. It's Daniel Barr. How are you? Good day. Good day. Thanks a lot for having me on the show, Brandon. It's great to be able to share and uh, get to contribute to the Aussie ecosystem. My pleasure, mate. And we're, we're glad to have you. Now, before we get down to telling your story, there's one thing that we love doing on this show at the very beginning, and that is to paint a picture and a deeper understanding of Daniel Barr for our listener who's on the treadmill or, or driving. I'd love to understand, mate, what does a typical day in the life of Daniel Barr look like? Oh, that's a good question. There is not so much of a typical, but if you were to kind of uh, try and think about a few elements that go into the day, there's a little bit of yoga maybe in the morning. There's maybe a little bit of uh, checking that the strawberry garden is all right. and that um, cucumbers and, and tomatoes are all right. And thinking a little bit, reading some stuff that might be interesting for, uh, for work relatively um, kind of related to crypto and blockchain normally. And, and yeah, I usually start working at some point after a few hours of taking that headspace to think and kind of have time for myself and uh, go to work in the maybe late afternoon or, or some point like that. Yeah, I love it, mate. Excellent. So no day is ever the same. But I'd love to know, mate, what have you done since COVID's been around to really increase your productivity or keep you having an efficient day? Is there one key hack or thing you've implemented that's really helped you? Great question. It's been a bit difficult at first, the, the idea of like, working from home on the one hand, and, and it's been a serious kind of effort to transition. But I think that um, one, invest in good uh, like headphones or whatever it is, like make sure that you have the right thing for your workstation setup. Uh, make sure that you have enough time for yourself and then um, like uh, let, the, let the calendar be sufficiently empty so that the things that you do want to, um, to double down on you kind of can can be flexible enough to do them because i think that with covid uh, everything is forced into this remote life we find ourselves doing things in a very asynchronous manner and sometimes it's uh yeah it demands more flexibility than we had before so i guess just getting to this mindset yeah totally absolutely all right mate i'd love to understand what is it that you're currently working on right now so that people can start to check out a url and Google you as we speak. Epic, yeah, for sure. So there's um, most of my uh, time goes to the venture firm Collider Ventures. So I'm venture partner in 
the crypto and blockchain VC that started in Tel Aviv, Israel, and is currently the, the leading crypto and blockchain VC in Israel. Uh, we have a seed fund. We have a free seed venture building fund, which just got uh, launched actually uh, a couple of weeks ago, Collider Labs. So I guess like to check a bit more about it, you can go to collider.vc and you'll find probably at least some uh, information because a lot of it goes into, like a lot of our work naturally goes into the startups and stuff like that. So you'll find more through the startups that we're working on rather than through um, our own website. Yeah. Yeah, excellent. Now you've been the founder, you've been the entrepreneur, you've been the investor. Tell me about your journey today as the investor and how you went about transitioning and introducing that as a new role from being just a founder. Good question, because um, in the space that I'm working in, often those boundaries are very blurred. Yep. Um, blockchain and crypto is a, very much a collaborative effort between different stakeholders, particularly if you're working in open source um, open source technologies, you quite often see that people that contribute to the code, they end up transitioning to different roles. They can end up becoming like product leads or sometimes people that started as product lead or founder end up kind of playing a, a more subtle role, strategic role at the background. Um, so these things are a little bit more fluid in, in crypto and blockchain. But um, throughout those years, uh, so I've, I've been before a consultant and doing community work that not is not always for profit. And then um, I, I also started my company, which then um, as many other startups experience serious struggles and in those transition and restructuring and pivoting and whatnot, I found that actually my uh, contribution to both this startup and others is much more on the strategic uh, level and in facilitating whether it's the investor relations or it's the business development and those kind of things. So that was kind of a, a natural transition to being much more focused on venture. And about two-ish years ago, I basically uh, started getting this uh, more professionalized approach to investing rather than uh, doing it as a semi side hobby. And um, some of the people that I met along the way, fellow travelers, uh, basically we kind of found complementary interest and skill set, And that's how I met the uh, Collider crew um, about a year ago. And, and since then, it's kind of always from the lenses of how is this thing going to be investable? How is this thing um, going to be getting the best odds at hitting high growth? How is this thing going to uh, accelerate through an interesting partnership? Uh, something that basically you're constantly occupying your mind with what are the easiest paths to achieve win-win-win situations such that you're basically baking a bigger pie for all stakeholders involved. Uh, investors naturally have their their ROI metrics, uh, but it's actually not. Uh, it's never really like a one path. There, you're actually thinking about how to orchestrate that entire effort. Yeah, excellent. I love that. I have to ask you, mate. We've talking off air. You've got a really extensive global background in in Israel, China, and and across the states in Europe. Uh, I wonder if we could just have a chat about 
the similarities and the differences between Israel and Australia and how we could maybe take some inspiration from what Israel's been able to do with their ecosystem, but more importantly, their attitude around early stage investing and, you know, the successes and, and, and outputs and sort of outcomes they've been able to get from uh, having that mindset. Because I think there's a lot we could learn. Wouldn't you agree? For sure, for sure. I think maybe we can like start with some of the similarities just to kind of get a good reference point. I think both, like both Israel and Australia are um, small markets. And I think this forces entrepreneurs and investors that are thinking about, you know, something that is high growth tech kind of, if we're talking about like tech investment, then um, you're, you're thinking about something that can, can hit a hockey stick growth. Yeah. And, and for that, it, coming from a small market, you need to have either a global mindset from the get-go. In Israel, it's like it's almost a condition. It's, it's irrelevant to talk about things that are not global market. I think that, that comes to something that is maybe a little bit of a difference in Australia. Sometimes people do go and, and work on something that is uh, localized to Australia and in, in some ways not even oriented to, to transition to global markets later. Um, but having that in mind when you start the thing, it's super important, I think, for, for startup founders. Um, and I think for, for investors in, uh, in Australia, often it's something that is a little bit of a blind spot, I find, because there's a lot of um, how we do it here mentality, which is often not something that is very directly translatable when you're working globally. Um, so, so I think that this is a, an area that, you know, I see as a, something to, to consider how to kind of build more bridges between culture and, and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, the, th the other things that I think are really a little bit resembling on the positive side is that there's really good culture of like uh, chill lifestyle. I mean, Israel is a little bit in more, more um, stressed neighborhood in the world, so to speak. But uh, if you go to Tel Aviv on, on any day, you'll see basically people surfing in the beach and going to cafes. And it's very much like um, uh, you take the bicycle to go and visit a venture here or, or a VC there. It's, this is kind of the culture. And I think it's very much the case with Australia as well. Like I know some founders, Sunshine Coast, living good lifestyles, some, you know, cafe artsy culture in, in Melbourne or or the Sydney posh eastern suburbs, whatever it is, like there's very good kind of um, work-life balance lifestyle baked into the culture. And, and I think that, um, that that breeds a very different uh, startup mentality and investor mentality compared to say like China. China is like super intense, like full on competitive. Um, and, and yeah, I guess these are like some of the similarities and differences I can think of. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so let's hypothesize for just a second because um, no doubt you would receive overtures, pitch decks and founders reaching out every day. I wonder if you could tell me how have you sharpened the saw? How have you gotten better at getting to a yes or no decision quickly? Uh, yeah, that's a great question. I think it takes, it, it's a, it really takes time to sharpen that sword you're talking about because um, when you're starting at, at the beginning, it's very difficult to know 
what's good, what's bad, like to evaluate whether it's to evaluate the idea or to evaluate the founder's ability to execute or their integrity sometimes. Like basically there's so many parameters that you need to evaluate, especially if you don't know the people, right? Um, and I think that uh, to me, much of it is by embedding myself into the ecosystem by becoming much more proactive. Um, so like a lot of my, my work in Australia has been on um, ecosystem building. So uh, collaborating on, on organizing events and um, trying out new products all the time. So then like the more, the more kind of a holistic vision you have for the specific area that you are getting specialized in, the better your ability to evaluate is going to become. So I think maybe like not to be like too um, overwhelming, the best thing is to, when you're, when you're keen to like specialize, basically think of what are the areas that you genuinely want to focus on? Like what, what is really picking your curiosity? Not because you think or you read somewhere that it's cool, but like, what is the thing that you're gonna be interested in if no one is paying you a dime to do and you don't think that there is any ROI? And then like from that place, try to identify in, in that uh, area, what are the activities that are actually like attractive ventures to consider? And like, just like keep going down that rabbit hole that you dig and, and you'll just uh, improve and sharpen your sword as, as you go. Yeah, excellent. Okay. so. Let's get an insight now into the mind of Daniel Barr and the rules or the playbook or the guidelines you've created for yourself personally for when you do look at opportunity. So what I'm getting at there is help me understand as an angel, do you stick to a certain uh, vertical? Do you only uh, invest in what you know? Um, is it all about the founder and less about the idea or vice versa? You know, what sort of appeals to you and then what are those key things you like to get answered personally to feel confident to yep i'm going to invest in this person or this business cool yeah that's a great question too i think to start off the answer there is a quote that i really like that is put your money where your mind is um basically I would suggest only investing in things that, as I mentioned previously, like things that you care about and you're curious about, because those are the things that you're going to be able to get the holistic view for and make the right decisions and also provide the value as, as someone that supports the founders that you're investing in. Mm -hmm. and, then, um, and then with regard to your question about whether it's about the founder, the idea or, or whatever, or what vertical, definitely, Pick your verticals and, and don't pick a vertical from a list of category. Pick your vertical from your areas of interest and your mode of work. For me personally, I'm really uh, into blockchain technologies and, and crypto and, and what kind of role does it play in the, um, maybe like some, some people like to think about it as fintech. Like as I see it, like crypto is basically going to eat fintech and, and eat finance and, and much more than that, similar to how software was starting to eat everything else and the internet started eating everything else. So pick your pick the things that you're really keen to kind of get deeper into the rabbit hole of, um, and, and start defining this as your vertical because this is also what's going to cultivate your, your personal brand, the networks and relationships that you're building from the, the filters for the quality of inbound pitches that you're going to get are going to improve over time as you get established in, in your space. Um, and then with regard to whether 
whether you invest in ideas or in founders, um, I'm very much like a relationship type of guy. So like to me, the idea is secondary. Sure, the idea should not be stupid, but ideas often, um, I, I have this saying that ideas is uh, very much like shit. Everyone has many of it, but <laughs> the, the good thing to do about it, like it, it doesn't go anywhere unless you're an entrepreneur is the person that is the gardener that takes that shit, turns it into manure, and then like builds a garden and then it becomes the fertilizer for amazing things, right? But idea in itself doesn't, it's not worth a lot. Everyone has many of them, right? So you, you really want to understand that the people that you're investing in, they have high integrity, high energy, they're creative, they have ability to iterate fast, they're smart, um, they're humble. They, they should be people that receive feedback really uh, well, not just from you, from the market. Sometimes people are too in love with their ideas that they don't see the market's feedback is uh, telling them that they, they should really consider their strategy or their ideas, right? Mm -hmm. um, so, so yeah, for me, it's very much like a, a relationship and an evaluation of the people that are um, behind the products. Like if you think about it, you know, how many people had the idea of Uber? How many people had the idea of, of Airbnb? I, I meet pe those kind of people daily, you know? And, and, and if you're too attached to the idea that I had an idea and like, whoa, like someone else made it, like, dude, you can kind of see it's all about execution. It's all about ability to like be humble and let the markets really tell you what's the, like, what's the steps that you need to make. Yeah. That's, cool. yeah. I love that, mate. So, now, we spoke off air that um, crypto and blockchain is obviously a big space not to discount and uh, but still very unknown to a lot of people, especially uh, a lot of first-time angel investors. But I wonder if I could challenge you to really summarise and, and outline for me in the simplest form what it is but also the opportunity that exists so that someone who wouldn't have traditionally been gravitating to this area uh, could know what they need to know to not miss out. Yeah, look, this is something we can like discuss now for hours. So I will try to encapsulate a few of the kind of key themes or key ideas that, that are behind this uh, space. Um, I think that maybe at the core, we need to understand what Bitcoin is or where did it come from? And, and there was also things before like crypto often is a short for cryptography or otherwise it's a short for cryptocurrency and then more broadly speaking blockchain technologies are, are kind of like a lot of what's behind this movement um, what what is really important to understand about bitcoin so that you can start understanding everything else and why is it super interesting is that um, the world that we are living in today is so interconnected and the financial world basically all over the world is, is this kind of like system that is built um, just like legacy system built on top of legacy system on top of a legacy system. And there's like investment banks that are basically um, building financial instruments that facilitate deals at a, at a global scale. And all of that thing is working quite nice for some people and it really doesn't work for a lot of people. And the thing is that 
Um, if we're looking at the world before the internet, for example, um, we used to have TV channels or, or um, media labels for, for music or whatever. And basically there was quite a lot of monopoly on the distribution. And then the internet came and it kind of democratized the distribution and creation through different uh, platforms that basically allowed you to do whether it's e-commerce, social media, and all those kind of things that started completely changing the paradigm for what does it mean to do um, media, communication, commerce. Now crypto and blockchain basically comes to say there is this really huge industry, finance, that has not really been democratized. It's still quite monopolized by very few players. So like in Australia, we have the four major banks, um, but even if it's not just like one, uh, one institute, it's, it's relatively few institutes that are essentially like controlling a lot of it. So Bitcoin first came and said, let's establish a distributed peer-to-peer -peer cash system, something that will allow people to store value and, and transfer value from here to there without the need to have a middleman. And doing it using some really cool um, crypto technology, cryptography, um, that kind of unlocked something really nice in that you suddenly have a global system that anyone has access to through very basic devices and people can interface to it. And by that, not being dependent on institutions that are opening from nine to five and are, are having a lot of conditions that are making it difficult to actually benefit from for quite a lot of the population. So that's like a motivation for where Bitcoin came from. Now, after the success of Bitcoin, at least in the uh, sense that people started understanding how can we, like, how can we build systems on Bitcoin? For example, there started to be payment providers, um, wallets, and all of the kind of ecosystem that had to be built around the, the kind of lower level of the protocol in order for it to become this, um, what's often referred to as digital gold store of value that you don't move very often, but you kind of like store there in case you live in a country where a dictator can come tomorrow and take over, or you live in a country that um, the Reserve Bank decided to inject a lot of capital and devalue your currency, which is actually something that uh, we're not thinking about a lot, but it's pretty much happening in front of our eyes. And um, just in 2020 alone, you have more than 25% extra uh, USD in circulation that was brought from uh, like just, just for those stimulus packages. So, um, so basically like in that regard, Bitcoin is very much providing a hedge or as, as Shamat Pali Patia and other investor is saying that it's a schmuck insurance basically kind of in case um in case those shenanigans of the bankers or um or financial institutions are not going to amount to the best solution you basically have there an insurance against it now um the beautiful thing about that besides talking about bitcoin is the distributed like the ability to have distributed networks to run unstoppable applications. So if the first application was Bitcoin and basically this digital gold, imagine how you can run Uber without having Uber as the middleman, but rather Uber owned by the drivers, by the passengers, by whoever is kind of like providing the infrastructure, right? Yeah. Um, imagine how, how would it be to run 
commerce or, or run another like like your your local municipality or any other thing that you would otherwise run with a very hierarchical structure here you'd have like an open permissionless structure so very much a lot of what's happening with um, with crypto is around understanding what are the possibilities and kind of like building the picks and shovels that will enable building real products on it i was mostly touching about the philosophy maybe like a bit too in length um but yeah like i think we can we can go into like further kind of nitty gritty stuff. Uh, well, I guess, uh, guess that another question is: Will there be a day where we'll be able to make angel investments and seed investments into startups via cryptocurrency? Ah, that day has already like arrived long ago, and like uh, even even in Australia, there's quite a good ecosystem of um, of uh, crypto startups. Mm-hmm. Um, including some that already passed the $100 million valuation. There's Synthetics. You, you might want to check. It's a founder from, from Sydney. And uh, I think that it's valued by like well over 300 mil or something like that. Um, and, and there's like many that are coming now. Actually, Australia, one thing that I found, I moved here about six years ago. And like I came from engineering background. I was not very experienced in, uh, in finance before. And uh, I, I noticed that in Australia, everyone is very obsessed with real estate investment and becomes an expert with that. And in general, the kind of financial ecosystem around doing all kind of those accounting and finance um, activities is very developed. And what happened was that in the last few years, a lot of people that had experience previously with finance moved into the blockchain space and started building there's this new movement called decentralized finance or in short DeFi. And Australia has actually become one of the global leaders in the space. You currently have quite a few of the startup founders and, uh, and investors as well in that space that are basically world-class. Um, there's a, a, a project called DHedge, which I'm actually advising for. It's a decentralized hedge fund using uh, blockchain technology. They actually just uh, got angel investment and then seed investment just a few months ago. So, so there you go. There's like in Australia company that uh, would have uh, got in it. There's uh, Arc, another one. Um, th- there's a lot of them. And, and yeah, definitely people are making investment into those companies, angel investment, seed investment at every level. Yeah, excellent. All right, beautiful. Well, I guess the next question I had for you is, um, how do you juggle being a founder and an investor and having the self-discipline to not just pull the trigger on investing in everyone and everything. Because as we all know, being a founder, an angel investor and involved in this space, we do get spoiled with our exposure to great opportunities. Um, you know, do you like to have a huge portfolio? Do you like to have just a certain number? Um, you know, how do you sort of tailor your experience as an angel so that you don't just get consumed with wanting to invest in everything? Yeah. First of all, I think that if you want to invest in everything, it's a good sign. You're in the right place. You basically, you're following your path that you're curious and excited about. And then comes like, okay, let's think about how can discipline help you, right? Um, So so I think that for many investors, myself included, yeah, there's so many founders I would want to invest in. And it's just uh, practically not going to be uh, not going to happen, like whether it's because you don't have the capital, you don't have the time, whatever. And, and there are a few guides that I think um, are important, both for the founder as well as for the angel. 
particularly, I guess, for the, for the angel. At the angel level, personally, I believe that your value add should be really critical. You don't want to invest and forget. Otherwise, you would just become a limited partner in another fund. As an angel, you want to be a part of the journey. You want to have the ability to really provide so much value such that your contribution is going to change the, the, the kind of odds of success at that early stage. And, and you'll be like, uh, it's not about the fame so much, but it's about like, you'd know that you have something that you have achieved in um, helping materialize. So, yeah. so I think that that brings to what are the kind of keys to make decisions on what can you invest in and what not, just because you want to invest in so many, so many things, say, right? And that key is to basically understand, are you able to really provide value? And, and that could be basically, do you have the right chemistry with the founder? Is, is it someone that you can work with or, or not so much? You just think that the idea is cool and you know, the idea can pivot next month, who knows? Uh, so like, are you really able to provide that value? Are you really able to work with that uh, founder team or, or whatever? Um, is it like really a space that you feel your knowledge would uh, mean something or your relationships with, with other partners would mean something? Yeah, so basically like understand, are you able to provide value? That would already um, cut in many of the deals and not, not, for the, not for like only terrible reasons. Sometimes like, you end up missing out because you need to make a decision in one week. And even though you would want to make a decision, it wouldn't allow you to get to the due diligence level that you would. Um, and then you can't assess if you are going to be able to add value. And then even though it's someone that I really appreciate and it's an idea I really appreciate, I'll, I'll just uh, respectfully have to um, have the discipline to, to uh, skip and you know say that hopefully we'll uh, meet at, uh, at another occasion. So find, I guess, like your value add, basically. Mm, love it. Um, okay, we've got time for two last questions. So the second last question is, and it's a two-part question, um, our audience loves the second part of this question. So I'm going to ask you what's been the best piece of advice you've ever received and from who, and what's been the worst, most horrible piece of advice you've ever received? Yeah, cool. Uh, so... I think for the best piece of advice, I would, uh, I don't want to like answer on like as a one kind of liner or something, but I would give a reference. There is this um, very famous angel investor called Naval Ravikant. And he has a very famous tweet thread that the, the first tweet in the thread goes, how to get rich without being lucky. And then he goes into a lot of different advices and he later created also a podcast series that expanded each of the tweets into like a two or three minutes short podcast. And just every bit of this podcast is gold. And like, if you're interested in developing the right kind of um, mentality for investing and not just for investing, for well-being, for just everything, really, this is just phenomenal. So, so go check it out. Wow. And then the worst piece of advice, um, I guess, again, I don't want to like be too specific on naming names or on, on like being uh, too kind of uh, picky here, but I would say that um, to find something that is uh, like to invest in general, you need to find something that is going to be unique for you to be able to contribute and leverage on. 
-hmm. So the advices that I received that are very much going along the lines of trying to put me into a track or, or into like some follow someone else's path are the worst advices. Because on the one hand, sure, you need to be open to feedback and it's very important to always be learning. There's something to learn from anyone. But very often people will come in with an immediate, um, when you talk to, to people often like they would immediately say no, or there's problem, you know, like if people always identify the, the problems, I'll always find the negatives and stuff, the advices that they will give you are going to come from a place where you have no, no use of. So, so really like always try to identify what is the, the road up rather than the, the road down, you know, the, don't, don't try to like follow road downhill that is already well paved. Try to find the, the road into the, the new and the less charted territories and try to cultivate your own, I guess. Excellent. I love it, mate. Okay, awesome. We've got time for one last question. And that one is, what is that one thing happening right now in your universe, your, your ecosystem, your world that we as an audience uh, and a network can really shine a light on and collaborate with you on? Mm. Um, Might be a particular yes. or project, yeah. Yeah, so, so most of my work is very much done in public. So it's quite easy to like find me on every channel that you can imagine pretty much, um, like LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, wherever, WeChat. Um, so I guess like, as, as I guess might be clear by now, most of my focus is on crypto and blockchain and very much involved in, uh, in that ecosystem. So I guess if you want to learn more about crypto or if you are already in crypto and you want to like reach out and collaborate or whatever, um, yeah, the, the stuff that I usually share are, are in that space. Uh, also a lot about well-being, like I care a lot about well-being. Um, and, and yeah, I guess like in every one of those channels, basically I, I would um, share ways to get in touch, projects that I'm working on and, and Kind of a call for different collaborators um definitely there, there was actually just recently a, a call that we put out for one of the um communities i'm involved in it's the d hedge uh, decentralized hedge fund and basically because it's decentralized and it's run with a decentralized autonomous organization that is governing it there was a call out for fund managers so fund managers are going to receive uh cumulatively half a million dollar to manage funds on the platform. So, so I guess this would be a good call to action if you're interested in uh, managing a fund on the blockchain, you can uh, get some money from the DHEDGE DAO. The DHEDGE Decentralized Autonomous Organization will basically like fund you and invest in you. So I guess check it, yeah, I can, I can share the URL uh, with you and, and we can post it in the- really? Absolutely. Uh, share with me now as well. What, what, um, or give me an understanding of where people can Google and check it out now and we'll put it in the comments as well. For sure, for sure. So the, the project is called DHedge. The URL is dhedge.org. So D-H-E-D-G-E dot O-R-G. And if you can just Google um, DHedge open call for fund managers, you will find the Medium post that includes all of the detail about the program. Yeah, excellent. 
or venture builder, founder, investor, and all-round great guy, Daniel Barr. It's been a pleasure having you on our show, and we can't wait to do it all again and to get you involved with our upcoming events as well. It's great to have you part of, of our, our network and our family now. Epic. Cheers. Thanks a lot for inviting me to share some maybe a little bit less orthodox uh, opinions and, and uh, areas of activity, and I hope that it's benefiting uh, the, the listeners and whoever is watching. Absolutely. And that's all we have time for today on the Angel Investors Access Show, your series with Brandon Burns from C2 Angels. If you're thinking about becoming an angel investor and you don't know where to start, then you know exactly where to head, c2angels.com, and book your angel investment opportunity discovery session now. Until next time, I'm Brandon Burns, and I'll catch you later.